0: You're listening to audio from Harden Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit HardenBaptist.org. A thousand different scenarios. For, for some of you, it's going to be just a blissful Christmas. Um, maybe you have little children, and there's nothing quite like just presents under the tree, and they're so excited. They wake up. They can't wait to run in, tear them open, and you get to live Christmas through the eyes of a child. Maybe you have grandkids, and it's just spectacular seeing their eyes open in presents. It's just going to be blissful. Um, maybe for some of you it's going to be more sorrowful because maybe the kids are gone for the first time or maybe you've lost a loved one and not everyone's around the tree and you can just think about memories past that, that, that aren't quite the same as they were. Maybe there's estranged family members and so it's going to be just a tough Christmas as you walk through this. And, but I think for most of us there's probably a mixture of sorrow and joy. There's just joy about the season. There's joy about Christmas, getting to gather with family, but also there's just sorrow because Christmas sort of brings out the best and the worst in life, like things that we love and hold dear, but also things that we realize we're missing and that are not yet complete, and it can be all those mixes of emotions. So we're all going to experience Christmas differently. There's going to be a thousand different reactions to Christmas and how it's gonna be for you. But what I want you to see this morning is every single one of us share something in common about Christmas. And that is, we all need that baby born in Bethlehem who brings new birth to the world. Like, that's what Christmas is about. That's ultimately what you need, and that's what we're going to see in Ruth chapter four. We're going to see there is a baby born in Bethlehem who really brings new birth, even resurrection to this family. And we're going to see that's actually the story of Christmas about a baby born in Bethlehem who brings new birth to the world. I mean, just think about the song that we just sing, "Hark, the Herald Angel sing. I love the line, hail the heaven-born prince of peace, born that man no more may die. Isn't that a great line? Like Jesus born that man that you and I may no longer die, born to rise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And that's really what Christmas is about, that Jesus was born to give us new birth. And so we're all going to experience different things. What you desperately need is the baby in the manger that brings you new birth. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna to go to Ruth chapter four, and I'm gonna read uh, the first line of the end of our story, and then we'll continue through the rest of chapter four. But if you'd stand with me out of reverence for the word of God, we're gonna begin a reading in verse 13. Here's what the word of God says. So Boaz took Ruth, And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to celebrate with Naomi and Ruth as they hold this little baby, Obed. I pray that we would see what he means to this family that he is their redemption, he is their hope, he is their future. But more than that, I pray that we would see why the story of Ruth connects to the story of Jesus, and that is because Jesus born means that we have hope, that we have life, that we have a redeemer. We have experienced death in Moab, but there's life in Bethlehem. Let us see that this morning. If anyone doesn't know you, Let them come to know you this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So that first line that we just read in verse 13, that's like an entire year in one sentence. And so we see that Boaz marries Ruth. And for some of you who haven't been with us, you're a family member, you got invited in, you're traveling, you're like, I don't know who Boaz is. I'm not sure who Ruth is. I'm sure it's a big deal. I didn't get invited to their wedding, so I don't really know what's going on. So I'm just going to give you the, uh, the, the plot summary so that you know who Boaz is and who Ruth is. So first we'll start with who is Ruth. Well, it starts with a lady named Naomi who had a husband and two sons. There was famine in Bethlehem. So they actually moved out to Moab, which we said is really going outside of the presence of God. They're trying to kind of live life on their own. And they experienced death in Moab. Naomi's husband dies the, the sons marry two girls, one of those Ruth, and the two sons also die. So now we have this girl named Ruth from Moab who's connected to this girl Naomi who's from Bethlehem. They're both widows, they're childless, and they're in a real dire situation. So they make their way back to Bethlehem, and what they desperately need is a redeemer. See, Naomi has some land. It has debt on it. It needs to be paid off so that they can be redeemed, so they can, they can have that debt erased, so they can have a future. There needs to be redemption. And Ruth needs a husband. It needs offspring, needs a son. And so now we meet Boaz. This redeemer who we find is able and willing to buy the land, to marry Ruth. And now we see in chapter four, sort of the culmination of the story. It's like the end of the Hallmark movie when everything's right and they kiss and it's like, oh, that's what it was all going to. That's the moment. They've just had the wedding. Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. Then we get a glimpse of the honeymoon. And then now we see there's a honeymoon baby. She gives birth to a son, and so now we see that there is this boy, and can you imagine the excitement to Ruth, the excitement to Naomi? Because we know that Ruth had a husband in Moab. His name was Malon, and they were married for 10 years, but they had no children. So we can presume that Ruth is barren. Ruth can't have kids and now she gets married to Boaz and now she has a kid and it's explained that the Lord has gave her conception. The Lord has brought this little baby to her. So we see this is a gift from the Lord, which reminds us that all of our kids are gifts from the Lord. Like we should celebrate our kids as gifts from the Lord. But we're going to see that this son in particular, he is going to be a gift from the Lord and him being born is all about their redemption so see a wedding honeymoon there's a little baby and now we're going to see Naomi we're going to see her redemption and really her resurrection and so this is kind of where the story takes a turn because the whole story is about who Ruth got her name on it right but at the end of the book We see Ruth moving into the background, and we see Naomi, the mother-in-law, the grandma. She's the one that is coming into focus. She's actually front and center at the end of the story, and we're going to see the baby is connected to Naomi. It's about her redemption and her resurrection. So here's where we see this change of, of, of emphasis. Verse 14 says this, Then the women said to Naomi, bless be the lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer so the women are now saying blessings to naomi bless naomi not only you but i love christmas and one thing i love about christmas is just like all the blessings you get no matter where you go like how many of you have went somewhere and someone said merry christmas to you anybody like like all over the place, right? Like check out at Walmart. Like we, we had a guy that came into our home and did some repair work and he left me. He's like, hey, have a Merry Christmas. I'm like, yeah, you too. And happy, I, what, 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 you know, it's like you just get blessings like all over the place. Everyone's wishing Merry Christmas. They want you to go. They're giving you sweets. They're giving you snacks. Like it's awesome. Like Boston's are so just nice and happy at Christmas time. Like so, we get these blessings at Christmas time. Naomi is now receiving this blessing. Blessed be the Lord, because Naomi has not been left without a redeemer. And so we see in this redeemer, it says this: and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a store of life, a nourisher in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who has more than seven sons, has given birth to him. So Naomi has not been left without a redeemer. There's blessing now over Naomi. Now, the reason that catches our attention as a reader of the story is we know in chapter one, she was not a blessed woman. In chapter one, she was broken. She was burdened. In fact, she was bitter. And you remember? So when she came back from Moab, when she walked into town, the women shout things at her and says, is this Naomi? Naomi means pleasant. Isn't this the pleasant one? Isn't this one that went away and has came back? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me pleasant. Instead, I have a new name and it's Mara, which means bitter. So she asked the women in the town to call her bitter. And she says, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, I left full and I came back empty. So the women are, are basically trying to acknowledge her, but she says, hey, I'm broken. But now in chapter four, things are completely different. Now she is spoken to as blessed by those same women. And the difference is she is now holding a little baby. The baby has made all the difference. See, in chapter 1, we see death in Moab. She is fleeing. And I think when you think about Moab, when you think about them running away from the presence of the Lord, it reminds me of what Jesus would call the far country. In Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, which we all probably know, the, the boy, the younger boy, he went to a far country. He went away from God, away from his father, away from his father's presence. And you know what he did in the far country? He, he lived it up. Man, life was good. He had money, he had fame, he had friends, he had all the things that he could ever want. But then all of a sudden, life didn't work in the far country. There was a famine, he became in need, and life just crashed. And so I think the same thing happened from Naomi and her husband. They went to a far country. They went to Moab. They tried to live life on their own, apart from God, and it worked for a little while until it didn't. And then they turned up empty. Trying to find satisfaction away from God doesn't work. And so they had to come back to Bethlehem. And now we're seeing the full story. They go from broken, burdened, and bitter to blessed because of a baby. And that's really our story too. We have been the ones that have went to a far country. We've done our own thing. We've lived our own life. But if you're a Christian, you are now blessed. You're now brought back in because of the baby born on Christmas, because of the Lord Jesus. But some of you right here, right now, you're still in Moab. You're still in the far country. You are still doing your thing, living your life. And for some of you, it's working really well. Life's awesome. You have all the money you want. You have all the pleasure you want. It's just great. Life is awesome. But for some of you, you're in the far country, and you're taking that turn to realize maybe this isn't working because I don't have peace, I don't have joy, I don't have hope, I don't have love, I have things, but I'm not satisfied, I'm empty. You're beginning to be like Naomi in Moab who went away full but came back empty because you realize all of the treasures of the world, they're empty at the end of the day. Maybe some of you are just coming around that corner, you're just starting to realize that. Maybe some of you, you are like the prodigal son who's in the pig pen realizing I'm broken, nothing's worked, and I have no hope. Maybe you are realizing, man, life has crashed. I tried to find satisfaction, hope, joy, purpose, peace, and I pursued it in something other than God, and guess what? It was a false idol. And now I'm miserable, I'm broken, I'm angry, I have no peace, I have no love, I have no reconciliation. My life is a wreck now. Maybe that's where you are right now. Well, I want you to know there's hope in this story. Because that same girl who felt those same things is now being rejoiced over because she's not been left without a redeemer. And here's what I just want you to hear. You have not been left without a redeemer. So the question is, what's a redeemer? We've talked about this. Maybe you haven't been tracking with us. So what's a redeemer? It's someone who pays a price, There is a debt that is owed, so a redeemer comes and pays the price so the debt can be forgiven, so that the one who owes the debt can be freed. It's someone who buys someone back from a debt so that they can be reconciled. That's what a redeemer is. It's someone who redeems, it's someone who restores. That's what Naomi gets in this little baby. And I want you to see that this morning, that's what you desperately need. You desperately also need a redeemer because you have a debt you can't pay, a debt that you owe that is far greater than you could ever work off or manage to erase. You need a redeemer, and the news of Christmas is a redeemer has been born. A redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see this, this redeemer is going to be to her a restorer of life. Just think about that language that this redeemer to Naomi is going to be a restorer of life. If there's a restoration of life, it means that life has been lost. And that's really Naomi. See, Naomi, because she has no son, she has no husband, that means that her end of the family tree gets cut off. Elimelech, who was her husband, has no sons. His name is cut off. She is part of the family tree that now is a broken branch that is not going to have a future. So she has no life. She's cut off. She's, in a sense, dead but now she's holding Obed, this little baby, and she now has life. So it's as if the writer is trying to say, Naomi has received resurrection through this baby that she's holding. She moved from death to life because a baby was born. And is that not your story? Is that not my story as believers? Like, we have moved from death to life because... Jesus was born, and he lived the life we couldn't, died the death we deserve, so that we could have life in his name. See, we move from death to life because of Christmas, because of Jesus. That's her story, but it's also our story. But it's not just a restorer of life. She says that also, he is a nourishment in my old age. That's what the women are speaking about her. So not just a restorer of life, but a nourisher a sustainer. And see, so we think about what Jesus does to us. He doesn't just give us new life. John 10 says, I came to give you life, but not just life, abundant life. To sustain your life, to nourish your life, to have life, life like it was meant to be lived in the presence of God. We see this beautiful redemption that is now had from Naomi. But then we're gonna see a little bit of a twist in the story. Because if we're just reading along and we're not really paying attention, we now know that Naomi has a redeemer and our assumption is the redeemer is Boaz. Boaz bought the field. He married the girl. He had a son. So Boaz, who paid the price, is the one who's redeemed Naomi, the family, Ruth. Boaz is the one that's being spoken of as the redeemer. But if you actually read the text, the Redeemer is not Boaz for Naomi. So if it's not Boaz, then who is Naomi's Redeemer? Notice what it says at the end of our text, who is more to you than seven sons? Because Ruth has given birth to him. Who's the him? The him is the Redeemer. And notice, Ruth gave birth to him. So the Redeemer is not Boaz the husband. The Redeemer is the baby born in Bethlehem who redeems them, who gives them resurrection, who gives them new birth. That's the Redeemer. The Redeemer is the baby Obed, which connects very wonderfully to Christmas because guess what Christmas is about? It's about a baby born in a manger who is our Redeemer a baby who is our salvation because he is going to grow up and go to a cross and purchase our redemption. See, her redeemer is the baby. Our redeemer also is a baby born in Bethlehem. And you know what's interesting about this? The women are praising God for not leaving Naomi without a redeemer. They're they're happy because they know Naomi. She's childless, she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a future. So she needs a redeemer. She needs a grandson. She needs someone to carry on the family name. And she's now not left without a redeemer. So they're happy for her. But you know what's ironic in the story? The women who are saying that also equally need this baby Obed to be their redeemer. Redeemer. This is what the whole story is going to show, that it's not just Naomi who needs a redeemer. It's everybody, yet these women can't see that. They've got husbands. They've got children. They've got a good life. They've got everything together. They don't need a redeemer. Naomi does. They're happy for Naomi, but they don't know that they're living in the times of the judges. They're doing whatever they want. They also need a redeemer to redeem them. See, what these women don't realize is Obed is their hope too, not just Naomi's hope but they can't see it because they've got life all put together and i just want to pause and say maybe that's some of you here right now that you love the idea of redemption for that person those person those people you read about those people you see on the news those 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 others you want you want redemption for them the cross great for them but for you you don't marvel at the cross because you don't think you need the cross i mean you're pretty good you've got it together Like you're one of the people that's been successful and had a decent life. You don't need redemption. You don't want somebody to purchase you back from hell. You don't need that. That's for those other people. And so you're happy about Christmas. You're happy about redemption. But you're not enthralled by it because it's not really touched your life. Because you haven't realized you need redemption. And and so I just want to pause just for a moment and convince you that you need redemption. Because I think for some of us, we think, well, God's going to forgive us. God is a forgiving. I know I mess up a little bit, so I know I need forgiveness, but this whole redemption, like cross and blood, I'm not sure I need that. I just need God to say, some of the things you've done are not so good, so I'm going to forgive you, and we're all going to get along. So, yeah, you know you need forgiveness, but not like redemption, not blood and empty tomb stuff. And here's the issue with forgiveness. There's actually a problem to it. I love Timothy Keller in his book, Reason for God. He talks about the problem of forgiveness. And he says, forgiveness, it's free to us, but it's actually very costly. And he gives a little example. He says, imagine that you're in a car wreck. You're driving and you smash your car into another person. And so your car's broke. The other person's car's broke. You get out. Everyone's okay. But you're like, man, I don't have insurance. My wife's going to kill me. I don't have any money. Like you're just going through all the reasons why this is going to bankrupt you and you are done for. And then all of a sudden the guy gets out of the car and says, you know, I see that you clearly hit me. It was clearly your fault, but I'm just going to forgive you. You don't, you don't owe me a thing. I I completely forgive you. We're not going to deal with insurance. I forgive you. You are free to go. Imagine how you would feel in that moment. Like, you know that you're broke, no insurance, have no hope. Now this guy is saying, I completely forgive you. You are off the hook. A, you're going to be very happy because you've just been forgiven. But, But what's the problem? There are still two cars that are completely wrecked and broken. And you know what has to happen? That guy who forgave you has to now pay the damage to the cars to fix them and restore them so that they can be made right. See, forgiveness, it's, it's free, but it often costs. And that's the picture of God's forgiveness. It is free to you, but it is not free. It is not cheap. It is costly. All the sins that you've committed, they've incurred a debt. They've incurred the debt of death. You owe that. All of your sins have done all sorts of horrendous things towards God, towards humanity, and those deserve to be punished. There is a payment to those. So when God says, I forgive you, he's also the one that says, I'm also going to fix the cars. I'm going to pay for the damage you've done and I'm going to pay it through the blood of my son. That's what redemption is. That's why the cross has to happen for us to be forgiven. God doesn't just say it's okay. He says, it's not okay, but I'll forgive you and I'll deal with what's not okay. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of my son Jesus. See, the women here, they love redemption, they just don't think they need it. Naomi knows she needs it, so she's celebrating it. Do you know you need redemption this morning? Have you felt it and came to it and embraced it and said yes to Jesus because you need his blood in your life? Maybe for some of you, this morning is the time where you realize you need redemption. You need to claim the blood of Christ in your life. So there's a baby born that's all about redemption. That's what Christmas is, a baby born for the purpose of redemption. And then now we see the second sort of plot twist. And so the first one is the Redeemer is not Boaz, the Redeemer is Obed, the little baby. That's the first plot twist. Now we see the second one, and the second plot twist is gonna show us that this story is not about Ruth or Boaz or Obed. The story is actually about someone else. And so notice with me as it begins to conclude, verse 16 says this, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then all of a sudden, like, if, if you heard that for the first time, you're in you're Israel, you're listening to the story, you're not really sure it's a love story, it's cool, you've been watching The Crown, but you don't know how they're all connected together, and you're just like watching it through, and then all of a sudden, you get a name, and when you hear the name, it's like, it's that plot twist. It's like the end of Sixth Sense when the, you realize the kid's really dead the whole time. Like, it's like, what? That's like, wait, Darth is Luke's father? What? Like it's that moment in this time when they're reading, they're hearing, "Oh, here's Ruth, and here's Bo. that's a cool love story. It's all great." And then all of a sudden, the name Jesse and bells go off because they know who Jesse is. Jesse is the father of David, and all of a sudden they realize what this story is about. It is a love story, but it's about a greater love story. It is about a Messiah whose name is David which is ultimately about a Messiah whose name is King Jesus. See, see the dots begin to be connected for them, that the story of a, a, a man redeeming and this happening, this redemption, it's actually about a baby born in Bethlehem is pointing to another baby born in Bethlehem, not just David, but actually King Jesus. So they're seeing this bigger, they're sort of zooming out and seeing, oh, this is what this is about a Messiah is born. And notice, you have Naomi who holds this little boy in her lap. Now, can you imagine Naomi at this point? Naomi has longed to be a grandma. Ruth has longed to be a mom. I mean, 10 years in Moab, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth was married, n- no kids, so so now that they know that maybe she can't have kids and we're not sure how this is going to work out and we don't know how we're going to have a future. We don't know any of this. And then all of a sudden, Obed is born and their prayers have been answered. And some of you have been at this moment. Like you've held a child that you have prayed for for years and years and years. And then finally, through years and years of prayer, you got pregnant and now you're holding this baby. Or through years and years of prayer, a baby has, has come to you through adoption. Now you're holding this adopted baby who is yours now. And you're a grandma holding this baby who is yours now. And everything is sort of changed in this moment. That's Naomi rocking this little baby on her lap. Can you imagine the smile on her face? Can you imagine what she's saying to everybody? She, look, look, this, this is him. And, and then the women, they actually call him Naomi's son. Not Ruth's son, Naomi's son, because they know that this baby is deeply connected to Naomi. He is about her future. This baby born in Bethlehem is her rebirth, her new life, her resurrection. And the same is true for us. That baby born in Bethlehem, whose name is Jesus, he is our new birth, our resurrection, our hope from the grave. And we see this connection now too. It's connected to a baby whose name is David. And so we can just see the chapter one, she's broken, bitter. Chapter four, she's now blessed because of a baby. Big news of Christmas, a baby changes things. Like if you didn't know that, when you see that manger, A baby changes things. We see it in this story, and we see it in the story of Christmas. A baby makes a difference. And then now we're going to see something strange in the story. The story's actually going to end with a genealogy, which if you didn't know this, it's the only book in the Old Testament that ends with a genealogy. So it's kind of like, well, why would you end a story with a genealogy? Like, you've just hooked them. You've just had the wedding. You've had had the moment. You've had that end scene. Now it's like, now we're doing extra credits of a genealogy? Like, that's really, you lost your audience. But what we're going to find is the genealogy is actually the point of the book. That the genealogy is actually the central plot line to the entire thing. And we're going to see in this genealogy that we see a glimpse that the curse is broken. Notice what it says in verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab followed Nashon. Nashon followed Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So now we have a genealogy. Not just who's the dad and granddad, but a genealogy. And it's interesting that it's a genealogy of 10 generations. Now, why 10? Why not 11? Why not 9? Why not 8? Why does the writer put 10 generations in? I think it's because the original hearers of this story would have heard and kept track of, okay, that's 10 generations. Why is 10 significant? Well, they can remember in their very recent memory the plot they had with Moab and how Moab came against Israel and God cursed Moab to what? The 10th generation. That there's a curse on Moab to the 10th generation. And all of a sudden, we have this Moab woman who's now come into the family of God, and it just so happens that she's part of this generation of 10 generations. I think it's a a tip to say, hey, the curse has been broken. When David was born, he is breaking this curse of sin and rebellion because he is the king. He is this Messiah figure who actually points us to a bigger curse breaker who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so genealogies are often really important. Genealogies are something to pay attention to, which is why we're going to take this genealogy and point it right to the New Testament because we're going to see that the New Testament writer, Matthew, he actually copied and pasted Ruth's genealogy into his genealogy. So he's clearly connecting the dots. Hey, Ruth, it's actually about Jesus, and I'm going to show you how. So if you go to Matthew chapter 1, here's what we first see. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Ruth ends with a genealogy. Matthew begins with a genealogy. And we see that Jesus, he's the son of David and Abraham. David, the promise to David, you're gonna have a son who's gonna rule forever. The promise to Abraham, you're gonna have a son who's gonna bless the world. And so Jesus is that son who blesses the world by ruling the world forever. And so we see this genealogy that goes right into Ruth's portion of the genealogy. Look with me in verse five, it says this. And Salmon, the father of Boaz... Sound familiar? Like we just read this part. Now it's in the New Testament. By Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. It's like copy and paste, but then there's edits. Do you may catch the edits? Matthew adds the girls into the genealogy. I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's like, hey, if you miss Boaz, uh, there's a whole story about Boaz, he's a redeemer to a girl named Ruth. So we're going to connect these dots. Boaz married Ruth. We're going to put her in there. But also, you also know who Boaz's mom is. Boaz's mom is Rahab. And so as New Testament readers, we go back and we think about, well, who's Rahab? Well, most of us know who Rahab is. She was a prostitute from Jericho. She's often called in the Bible, Rahab the prostitute. Like, how would you like that title? Like, yeah, that's me. I'm just going to sign that. Like, when little kids come, Rahab, can you sign my card? Yes, Rahab the prostitute. Here you go, honey. That's like what she's called in scripture. And so here she's from Jericho. She's obviously lived a wayward life. But what happens? She has a turn. She has a 180. She, She sides with Israel. She sides with the people of God. She makes Yahweh her Yahweh. She's grafted into the family. And then we have Ruth. Well, who's Ruth? She's a Moabite. She's an outsider. She's living in a pagan land, worshiping pagan gods. But what does she do? She finds hope in Yahweh. She comes into the family of God by faith. And so I think part of the reason is, is adding these two ladies, for you to go check their backstory, and to realize that if you don't think you belong in the family of God, you're in good company. Because none of us do. None of the names on the list belong in the family of God. It is all by grace through faith. Some of you you don't know what I've done. No, but I know what Rahab did, and it was pretty sketch. So I think whatever you did can give a little grace, and you can also be welcomed in the family of God. Because guess what? Jesus actually breaks the curse. Generation of generation of generation of sin and rebellion, and then a baby is born to Mary who doesn't sin and breaks the curse for us so that we can all be welcomed in. That's the story of our King Jesus So we see this beautiful deal of a prostitute and outsider all belong and you also belong is the message. And then we see in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, on whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So now we have this genealogy leads to Jesus, the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is born. And so what I hope that you've seen in the story of Ruth, that that it's a story of death in Moab. It's a story of hopelessness and and people that have went to a far country. Their life hasn't worked. They went away full, but now they're empty. And some of you, that's you this morning. You're away from God. You're empty. You're trying to pursue peace and joy and happiness and all the things, all these candles. And you're like, I don't have one of those candles. Like all of them are blown out of my life. That's Naomi. That's Rahab chapter one. But then redemption happens and a baby is born. And it changes their, bless, it changes their burden into blessing. And their, their brokenness into life and future. And they have a resurrection event because of this little baby. And it's connecting us to another baby, also born in Bethlehem, whose name is Jesus, who, by the way, takes your burden and your bitterness and swallows it up by his cross and his resurrection and gives you blessing and new life and resurrection. See, his birth is about your need for new birth. That's what the manger scene is all about. And so I want to end just answering this question. Well, then who is Jesus and what exactly did he do? Like if all of Ruth is about this baby born in Bethlehem, you got this manger scene. It's kind of like, you know, home alone. where like, McCall goes finally walking out. He's like, can't find his mom and dad. They left him. And then all of a sudden he sees the manger scene and it's a long pause and he ponders and he looks and he looks and the manger scene then draws him in that's what i hope is happening right now the manger scene is drawing you in and you're curious because you're broken mom and dad left you alone and you don't know what to do i want the manger scene to draw you in to the redemption found in jesus so who exactly is jesus the angel answers it to joseph here's what we see in verse 20 joseph son of david do not fear to take mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will bear a son you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So who is Jesus? Well, well first of all, he's God. He, he's, when, you hold, when you hold the baby, this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. None of you said that when you held your firstborn baby. Like, meet my baby. This is God with us. Okay, weirdos, we're leaving. Nobody said that. They're saying this about Jesus. This is God with how can they say that? Because his mom was a virgin. And it was a miracle by the Holy Spirit. That this is what the incarnation is about. It's a miracle that God became a man. God put on flesh. So we see, first of all, Jesus, he is fully God. Very God from very God. Very light from very light. He's God. But secondly, what Ruth has showed us so beautifully and what this narrative shows us is he's also man. He was born of woman. Mary was his mom. And that's significant because our Redeemer has to be what? A kinsman, has to be like us, has to be human to pay the price for humans. Jesus is God who became a man. So, who's Christ? Fully God, fully man. And then, what did he do? He came, the angel says, to save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do, that was his mission. He came to break the curse of all genealogies. All genealogies. Your family tree is a cycle of sin and brokenness and death. Jesus comes in to graft you into a new family tree. You are a branch that is dying and dead, just like Naomi and Ruth. But Jesus comes in and plants you into a new tree with new life and a new future in the family of God. That's what Christmas is about. It's about the manger. It's about the baby, the baby who grows to live the life we couldn't, to die the death we deserve, to rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, and who's going to come back to us. And he says, in my name, not Obed, in my name, you can have forgiveness and redemption. That's what Christmas is about. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenedbaptist.org.